0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Leadership Global Podcast. We're so glad that all of you have turned in today. And today we have a discussion that I think everyone is going to be able to relate to, and that's microaggression. Microaggressions are a big deal. And today we're going to talk about how to deal with microaggression with Michaela Lusignan. She's the vice president of strategic growth at Gannett, part of the USA Today Network. And today we're going to be talking about how to talk out microaggressions and when to walk away. Again, I think this is such a relevant subject that everyone is going to be able to relate to. You know, just to level set, microaggressions That's a term that's used for everyday, subtle, intentional, and oftentimes even unintentional interactions or behaviors that communicate some sort of bias, some sort of bias towards historically marginalized groups. These are thinly veiled everyday instances of racism, homophobia, sexism, and more that you may see in the world. So to be clear. The micro and microaggressions doesn't mean that these acts can't have really big, life-changing impacts. In fact, they can, which is all the more reason to address them when you see them. Now, the difference between microaggressions and overt discrimination or macroaggressions is that people who commit microaggressions might not even be aware of them. Microaggressions are closely tied to implicit biases, which are the attitudes, the stereotypes, the assumptions that we may not even be aware of that can creep into our minds and affect our actions. They're sometimes also known as thoughts about people that you didn't even know you had. So research about microaggressions, although they're seemingly small and sometimes very innocent offenses, can actually take real psychological toll on the mental health of their recipients. And this toll can actually lead to aggression, to anger, to depression, and even lower work productivity and problem-solving abilities. Plus, they can affect a work or school environment, making it more hostile, less validating, and perpetuating this stereotype threat, the fear of confirming existing stereotypes about one's group, which can have really negative impact on confidence and on achievement. So it's not very hard to put some thought into the biases that you might hold and become curious about the way that your words and actions might be perceived by others, to actually listen when people explain why certain remarks Offend them and then make it a habit to stop for just a beat and think before you speak especially before you're weighing in on someone's identity. So to help us navigate the issue of microaggressions in the workplace so we can all commit to working these things in order to create a more harmonious society and a more peaceable work environment, we are so lucky to welcome Michaela Luzignan to today's podcast. Now, before we get started, let me tell you just a little bit about Michaela. As I noticed, she's the vice president of strategic growth at Gannett, and that's part of the USA Today network. And Michaela's passion is protecting the First Amendment, supporting journalism, the integrity of truth, the right to start conversations in communities and the protection of local businesses. Michaela believes it's our responsibility to protect citizens from nefarious practices and the abuse of personal data. Our focus in technology should be about building Building a beautiful and educational digital ecosystem, which brings the world together. And so you can see why I am so excited to welcome
1: Michaela to today's program. Michaela, thank
0: you so much for being here.
1: Wow, well, Linda, that was an exciting introduction. Um, I am so honored to be a member of Leadership Global, it's a great organization, and I'm excited to be here today talking about this topic with you.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us. So to begin with, Michaela, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and what's led you to have such passion around the issue of diversity, equity, inclusion, and really your sensitivity to this subject of microaggressions?
1: Yeah, so um, I actually grew up uh, in in a household with a single mom. And I grew up in that household in the deep South. Uh, My mother ended up giving up her law career so she could uh, work a job that allowed for overtime so I could be in a good school district and live in a safe neighborhood. Um, So we had a lot of challenges uh, growing up in my early childhood days. And one of the things that I found was going to an elementary school Um, in the Deep South, where you uh, have a lot of stigmas around divorce at the time in the 80s. Um, It wasn't something that was normalized. Um, I was one of actually until I was in fifth grade, I was only one of two uh, individuals in the entire school who had divorced parents. So it was difficult. And seeing Really, the kids didn't know any different. Um, We were cool to each other, right? Um, Kids love each other and they want to be friends with everyone. And where they learn to not like other children is from the adults that they're around. And what I found uh, throughout elementary school was I had a lot of teachers who had stigmas against divorced parents and their children, and that rolled over into the way that they treated kids in school that they thought were unworthy or less than the other children. And from that, um, I think I I just developed a passion around people who were either viewed as the underdogs or were oftentimes uh, on the receiving end of unconscious biases that people hold. Um, And and then as I got into my career in the newspaper industry, which I absolutely love, and and servitude is a big part of what I love to do, um, I realized that the cards that we were dealt in life shouldn't dictate our future. It doesn't dictate our abilities. It should not dictate the jobs that we land or the careers that we have, and that we definitely shouldn't be held Um, to a ground level of employment once we've arrived to the building. So I am passionate about starting conversations in communities and the betterment of our society, but it's also part of my life mission to start those conversations that are gonna impact change within our workplaces along with outside of our workplaces. And DEI is just one of those areas that I love. And I think that we have a lot of education to do around the space. Um, So I'm excited to help be part of that conversation to continue learning, of course, um, because we don't know everything, um, but also to help lend some insight to those who may say, I don't really understand what an unconscious bias is, or I don't believe that I have those um, and help people navigate through what that might look like
0: that's uh just so inspiring Michaela thank you so much and maybe to begin the conversation let's start by level setting you said that you know a lot of your passion um sort of surrounds this idea of creating sensitivity around microaggression, creating awareness around unconscious bias. So let's level set by defining exactly what microaggression is. What makes microaggressions different from other rude or insensitive actions or comments?
1: Yeah. So, and I think overt, and I think that's what makes them at times hard to identify is it's not just an overt termination that comes out. Um, And oftentimes the people who are levying microaggressions don't even realize that they are. Now, sometimes they're intentional, but oftentimes they're not intentional. And that's what makes them difficult to identify, not just for those who are committing microaggressions, but for those who are on the receiving end. Um, Lots of times I work with women and until they realize, oh, that was a microaggression, they just know that a comment didn't sit well with them or didn't feel good but they have a hard time putting their uh, finger on. What exactly was that that just happened to me? Um, So a couple examples I'll give you of microaggressions that happen in the workplace. Um, And these are actually top microaggressions against women. And what I find interesting is I um, spoke at a women's ERG, uh, an employee resource group that we have. It's run by employees for employees. And it was around microaggressions. And Every single female, there are over 200 on the call, experienced all of these microaggressions. So, as people who are listening hear these, they'll probably go, Wow, I do experience that either on a daily or weekly basis. And sometimes what we do is we just accommodate to them, we brush them under the rug. We think this is just what life is, and that's not accurate and it shouldn't be. So, some examples of microaggressions. Um, Maybe at some point you've been told, Or you've experienced that your contributions that you've provided to a company, they've been ignored, yet you see other individuals' contributions being lifted up or put into the spotlight. That oftentimes is a microaggression. Um, Maybe you're in a situation or a particular job where you are often being required or asked to provide more evidence of your competence than others are. I run into this a lot with STEM, um, women who are in STEM, so engineering, technology, Happens a lot. We're oftentimes asked that or we're told that's a really technical position, um, which I find really interesting that explaining to us how technical something is, um, is often the first place a person goes. And that's not often where it goes when it's our male counterparts who are applying or or looking at the same jobs. Um, Another one is being addressed in a less professional way. Um, I actually have an example story of this. I have a, a new manager Um, And she is running a couple of teams right now. And she is working with a former publisher who's had years of experience, um, but he often refers to her in staff meetings as dear or hun or sweetheart. And that diminishes her uh, standing in front of her staff. It brings her down to a different level. He is talking to her in a way that doesn't hold her up to the authority that she has. And oftentimes that can happen in the workplace particularly in certain regions. I mean, I am in the South right now. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, And it is not uncommon for my Southern male counterparts to refer to me as a nickname that they think is endearing. However, in a business setting, it doesn't always come across as endearing. It can come across as talking down to someone. So that might be something that you've experienced. Or even hearing demeaning remarks about you or people um, like you. So maybe you're in a meeting um, where a female is referred to as being difficult because she's pushed back on a topic or maybe called bossy, um, but male counterparts oftentimes aren't. Sometimes they're referred to as being a challenger and part of the challenger mentality or progressive or innovative. So sometimes it's how we're referred to um, or we're put into a group and we're given a label that's not there and it shouldn't be. So those are examples of um, microaggression that you may have heard. Um, Two that come from me that I didn't realize at the time were microaggressions. I just didn't like the comments. was early in my career. I was a part of an innovation group. And this group was um, a set of employees who were chosen that were going to be future leaders in the company. And our job was to brainstorm ideas about how we were going to bring the company into the future. And there were stakeholders in the meeting. And once it was over, um, an HR professional pulled me aside and wanted to have a conversation woman to woman. And this was somebody who was had a successful career and I was just starting my own. So I was eager to have a conversation one-on-one with her. And there were two things she wanted to tell me. The first was I needed to lose my accent. And the second was I shouldn't wear my hair curly. What she was essentially saying to me was in the first statement, how you sound, Uh, does not represent your intellect, your education, or your professionalism because I have a very deep Southern accent that I have now learned to hide in conversations. Um, The second being that when I was wearing my hair curly, I'm of Irish descent. I have very curly hair. um, And when I wear my hair natural, she was essentially telling me, you don't look as professional as we think you should. So let's break down these two comments. So The one about my accent, I was having a conversation uh, with a colleague recently who's an executive and her mother um, was a first generation immigrant to America. And her mother made sure that in their household they spoke English as their first language. And she wanted that because she had a fear that if her children didn't sound American they were gonna have less opportunity in the future. And when we were having this conversation It was the first time she is now in her late 40s that she realized maybe my mom was right to have instilled that in us. And the conversation around natural hair, Um, I had a VP who came to me and said, we have an intern that applied and she brought up a very odd topic today. She wanted to know if it was okay if she wore her hair natural and she was a black female. And this VP had never experienced that conversation before. She had no idea why anybody would even want permission. She didn't see a problem with it. And she didn't know that that was an experience that happens every day across the country. So my two pieces of advice are, one, when we say to individuals, you don't sound like us, what you're saying is you don't belong. When you tell individuals that the way they wear their hair is not the way that they should, because professionally, it doesn't look appropriate. What you're saying is their culture and who they are isn't representative of what you want your company to represent. Those are unconscious biases and microaggressions. And those are things that, as individuals in the workplace, we need to understand what microaggressions are so that we don't commit them against our colleagues, those who work for us, and those who work with us.
0: Yeah, so well said, Michaela. Thank you so much. And I love the one point that you noted where a term of endearment was actually seen as condescending, right? It isn't necessarily appropriate for a male counterpart to call a female colleague, honey, sweetie, dear. They may mean it with a, a term of endearment. But in fact, it can be interpreted as condescending. So let's say you get into a conversation about current events. And let's say the conversation turns towards police and racism and police brutality. And as you know, the country is fairly divided on really um, sensitive topics like that. So maybe the conversation gets a little tense. And you interpret a few of the comments As microaggressions. What are your options then? How do you step into that conversation and gently uh, point out places in the conversation that you felt offended, that you felt were microaggressions?
1: Yeah. So, first off, confronting microaggressions can be really difficult. And what I would say is the first step to take is to analyze what is your environment that you're in. So, are you at work? And are you out on an open floor? You need to take that into consideration when the conversation's taking place. Are you outside um, the workplace? Are you maybe in a public setting and you're with acquaintances, but maybe not somebody that you know extremely well? Or are you in a safe space? Are you um, in a safe environment and around friends and family? So I think first you have to take into consideration the environment that you're in, and do you actually want the conversation to proceed? Um, From there, um, uh, there's a a psychologist and an author um, who wrote a guide uh, recently, and it was published by the New York Times. And it's a guide to responding to microaggressions. His name is Dr. Kevin Dahl. And um, he had five tips and I thought they were fantastic. And his five tips aren't, these are not on the responses. It's on deciding, do you even respond? So his five tips are, if I respond Could my physical safety be in danger? If I respond, will the person become defensive? And is that going to lead to an argument? If I respond, how is this going to affect my relationship with the person? So are they a family member? Are they a coworker? That needs to be evaluated. And then if I don't respond, am I going to regret not saying anything? Or if I don't respond, does that somehow let the other person believe that I accept what they're saying and that it's okay. So I think before you continue and engage in a conversation, several areas need to be evaluated. One, the environment that you're in and the situation that you're in. And two, how could potentially the other person react to this? So I think it's important to realize when you're going to respond to a microaggression, oftentimes the other person may not realize that what they said could have been offensive, right? They may not, not only realize it, but they may not believe that what they said was sexist, racist, homophobic, et cetera. So understanding maybe where the other person's coming from to will help you decide, do I continue this conversation and in what way? My next piece of advice would be, um, don't call someone racist, sexist, uh, homophobic, or anything like that. The second you put someone on the defensive, you are going to have a problem. And I think the biggest area where I've seen mistakes made when somebody tries to confront microaggressions is they use terminology that are these brushstroke generalizations. Don't use words like they. If you're speaking about the police, talk about the specific police officer that you're talking about that committed a crime. Maybe there's a problem at a specific police entity where the majority of individuals have done something that you disagree with, but don't classify all police together the same way all women shouldn't be classified into one grouping. And I think oftentimes where mistakes happen are those tropes or generalizations and brushstroke statements that get us into this position of defensiveness. Um, and, And that is one of the biggest problems. And the last thing I would say is all humans commit microaggressions. We know the situations that we live in. We know the people that we're exposed to. That is our world. So it is going to be common that you're going to do something at some point in time that is going to offend somebody else. And what is important is to not be defensive, but to become aware and learn from the biases that we all have and then figure out how do we communicate better in the future so we're not offending those we could have levied a microaggression against when we weren't intending to to begin with.
0: Yeah. Wow. Such great advice. That is just all kinds of wisdom right there. Now, let's talk about how microaggressions actually harm people. We've talked a little bit about how to deal with the situation as it occurs, but how can it actually affect a workplace environment or a school environment or even a family discussion, how does it actually harm people?
1: Yeah, well, and I think you pointed this out when you were talking about microaggressions in the beginning, that they can have long-term effects. So the word micro doesn't imply that there's a small impact on a person. It can have lifetime impacts. Those feelings can run really deep. So I think it's important to understand that, that mental impacts and even the physical impacts of being hurt by microaggressions, um, that it it can be long-term. Now that happens as individuals, but as a workplace, microaggressions can completely destroy the culture uh, of a work environment. So imagine you're an individual in a work environment and you heard a microaggression from a coworker, either towards yourself or towards someone else. Well, you may think as that coworker, my team members just don't like me. You may now feel like you don't fit in. Are they judging me behind my back because they have these thoughts about my group of people and who I relate to? You may respond by becoming isolated. That employee may become less engaged in team building activities and exercises. They may have less social conversations around the water cooler and keep to themselves. Um, So that individual will start to detach and isolate on the flip side of that, their coworkers and team members may then see this individual as somebody who made themselves isolated or that they're a loner, that they're not happy with their job, they're not outgoing or polite, um, maybe they're not a proactive team player. So what ends up happening is you have one individual who thinks others don't like them and then you have other colleagues who aren't aware that a microaggression was committed and they think well, this employee just doesn't want to participate or be a team player. So the impacts on the workplace um, and unconscious biases can really cause large and widespread cultural problems across an organization. And I think that's why it's so important for leaders to become educated on what are microaggressions, how to manage through those. But it's also important for our HR services, CEOs, Um, individuals who are running business units to start training on these areas, to train employees what to do and what not to do, but also leaders and how to manage through microaggressions and make sure that people are actually aware of what they are and what they mean. Because what you don't want is a culture built around people creating uh, situations unconsciously and that's not actually how they feel, or they don't realize that they're offending one of their coworkers.
0: Yeah, that's so smart to reiterate the fact that, you know we all are subject to the possibility of a microaggression simply because we not may not be aware of our implicit biases. So what do I do if I want to avoid subjecting people to microaggressions, especially as a leader, or if I want to bring awareness to someone else's microaggressions in a non-threatening way, maybe someone on the team that is alienating other team members. As a leader, how can I bring awareness? awareness of their microaggressions, but do so in a way that builds the relationship rather than tears it down.
1: Yeah, so I, I would say one, um, there are some unconscious bias exercises that you can do as a team. and I would highly recommend those um, situations where you tell people to close their eyes and you walk them through a scenario and they're envisioning other people. Um, there was a great TED talk recently. And um, the exercise was closing your eyes and imagining that you're out to dinner. And uh, there's a couple next to you that, that's celebrating their 20-year anniversary. Um, the next day, you get on a plane and the pilot welcomes you. Um, and you got on that plane because you were going to a uh, uh, talk to listen to a CEO of an emerging tech company And as you went through that scenario, did the couple next to you look like you, or were they two men who had been married for 20 years? When you got on the plane, was the pilot a black man? When you walked into that conference and saw the CEO of a tech organization, did she look like me, or did you imagine somebody else? Those are great exercises to start bringing to life what unconscious biases look like. Don't be afraid to have those exercises then you're not calling individuals out. You're not pointing to the people and saying, you're doing something wrong. What you're doing is you're allowing them to explore themselves in their own minds. And that helps. Um, And I would say that's the first entry point. Now for women who are trying to, um, maybe in a fun way, in a lighthearted way, start checking individuals, um, we like to call these hip checks. I heard that phrase used a few years ago by someone who's talking about um, aggressions towards women in, in the workplace. And, and the advice was to give a hip check. So here's a couple examples of what I mean by hip check. So imagine um, somebody questions your area of expertise or implies that you're not an expert. Well, one thing that you can do is um, stop the conversation right where it's at and say something along the lines of, hey, that comment makes me wonder if it might be beneficial to you to know more about my background. Well, now what you've done is you've stopped the conversation exactly where it's at. You have pointed out to them that what they said isn't accurate. And now you're going to walk them through your background so that this doesn't happen again and they understand the level playing field that you're on. Another one could be um, maybe you're in a meeting and this happens to a lot of females that I talk to where someone talks over them or interrupts them. So one thing that you could do is say something along the lines of, now, Steve, you know, I'm not going to give up my floor until I'm good and ready laugh and take your floor back and continue talking. Or another way to handle it is you could redirect the conversation to another female in the group. You could say something along the lines of, Steve, I'd love to hear what you say, but before we go there, I would actually like to hear what Laura thinks. That is another subtle way to do a hip check. So my recommendation is one start educating people on their unconscious biases. Don't point fingers, but allow them to explore that area themselves show examples of what unconscious biases are. And then if you need to be in a situation where you're helping others, um, show them how to point those out in subtle ways where they're not necessarily getting into a back and forth argument. What you've done is you've checked someone, you've made it apparent you didn't like the comment, and then you proceeded with your own conversation without letting it be about that particular topic.
0: That's great. Those are really smart ways of navigating that sort of difficult and can be confrontational uh, situation with a lot of grace and a lot of diplomacy. So thank you so much. That was really, really smart. Now to wrap up, you've already given us so much great advice around microaggressions, Michaela. Thank you so much. But what would you say are three quick bits of advice on having difficult dialogue with others that um, you feel like are either overtly or perhaps indirectly committing microaggressions in a way that is damaging the team culture and damaging the
1: team dynamic? Yeah, so I would say first and foremost, educate yourself on what unconscious biases are. Um, Acknowledge that you probably have them, your team has them and make sure that you're able to demonstrate what they are to your team members, acknowledge them. Um, and when they happen, acknowledge the microaggression and then find a way to move forward positively with your team. Um, the second would be to have responses ready. So go ahead and think through what are some of the most uh, pre- relevant um, and predominant topics around microaggressions that can be seen in the workplace. If you're already prepared for them, And then you have a set of ways. Here's how I would encounter it. Here's how, maybe this is something I would say, get some hip checks ready on those topics. Um, Go ahead and prepare yourself for it. And then lastly, what I would say is speak up. When you see something happening in a group setting, if it's behind closed doors, be an ally and be an advocate. As women, we need to speak up for other women. We should be speaking up for those with different backgrounds, religions, and situations. We should not be allowing microaggressions to be normalized. And we have at this point. They are normalized. We sweep them under the rug. So even if you're not the one that the aggression is directed towards and you're not the one on the receiving end, you still have a responsibility to stop it, to acknowledge that it happened, and to make sure that the other person's aware that it's not okay what they did. I love that, provided, as you said earlier, that they're in a safe
0: place and that their physical self will not be under threat should they pursue to have that conversation. So I love that. I think this has been just an absolute masterclass in a very, very difficult and tenuous conversation around microaggressions, where those borders are, what the best way it is to handle those kinds of very sensitive conversations, and also to acknowledge within each one of us where our implicit biases may lie, how to uncover those things and how to deal with them. So I I am so grateful to Michaela for all of the incredible wisdom and insight that you've shared with us so far. And now I'm going to switch gears a little bit Because this is the Leadership Global Podcast and ask about leadership advice. Kayla, you've had a phenomenal career and you you are an executive leader at one of the most prestigious media entities in the world. And along your path, you must have received incredible leadership advice um, that has really impacted you and helped create the kind of success, the level of success and achievement you now enjoy. So what is the
1: best leadership advice that you've ever received that you'd like
0: to pass on to our listeners?
1: Yeah, well, and um, as you know me, Linda, I love to talk, so I don't know that I can hold it to one. Um, but what I would say is, so probably the first advice I got um, was pertaining to career trajectory. Um phenomenal leaders. Um, I worked for a a great executive at Morris Communications, his name is Everton Weeks. Um, And when I say great, I mean he would build up his employees and that's why I say great. But he also was very good at making sure that you understood where you stand and what were smart decisions and not smart decisions. So the advice that he gave me, I really wanted this one job um, that it opened up and I was so eager for it. And he told me, you're not ready yet. He said, you're not ready for this position. And let me tell you why. You need more breadth of knowledge. When you're building your career, stop thinking of this as climbing the ladder. Because if one of those steps on the ladder breaks, you're going to fall and you're going to slide all the way down it. Stop building a ladder of a career. Instead, build a pyramid. Because if you build a pyramid and you get breadth and you're worried about that first and foremost, what you'll do is build a solid foundation. And you'll never be worried about racing to the top because what's going to happen is you're always going to be chosen. You're going to be one of the ones who's looked at first because you have experience in so many different areas. So I like to look at every job as what am I going to get out of this job that sets me up three jobs from now? Um, And how is this helping the the thickness, if you will, of my pyramid that I'm trying to build. And I thought that was great advice for somebody who is new in their career to not worry about straight up trajectory, um, to worry about the foundation I was building for myself. Uh, And then the second tip that I will give, and then I will be done here. um, It wasn't really a leadership tip, but it's a quote. Um, My family's big soccer fans. Um, I'm not an Everton soccer fan, Um, But it's a quote by Dave Hickson who played for Everton. And he said, "Um, I would break any bone in my body for any club I played for. But for Everton, I would die. And I think about that in every single leadership role that I'm in. How do I inspire my employees? How do I get employees to run through walls for me? How do I get them to love their job, to know that I am here, I'm the shoulders for them to stand on and support them and to remove obstacles? but that they want to come to work every single day. I want a team full of Dave Hixons on my team. And I feel like if I approach leadership in that way, if I approach leadership with that quote in the back of my mind as a company, as an individual, that's where success really happens. So two, two points of advice would be build your pyramid. Don't climb the ladder straight to the top and figure out how to get employees to run through walls for you. It's not about you being the boss the more successful they are, the more successful you are.
0: Oh, that is wonderful, Michaela. Love that. Both pieces of advice are so wise, incredible insight, and what a wonderful way to end today's discussion. So thank you, Michaela, for offering this time and more importantly, your incredibly sage advice, your wisdom, your insight, and your guidance of how to navigate what can be a very sensitive issue of microaggression. So Michaela, thank you so much. And to the Leadership Global Podcast audience, thank you for joining us and be sure to tune in next week to hear another extraordinary leader like Michaela um, that gives you Insight that you can put into practice today. Thank you. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week.